0: Hello, and thank you for listening to the Vineyard Church Springbrook podcast of Vineyard Church right here in Alcoa, Tennessee. If you haven't already, you can check out our website for more information
1: about our church or find our audio archive with all of our previous messages at www.vineyardchurch.us. You can also subscribe on Apple or Google Podcasts. Now, let's hear this week's message.
0: Our scripture reading this morning is found in the book of Isaiah, chapter 58, verses 8 through 12. Then your salvation will come like the dawn, and your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward, and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then when you call, the Lord will answer, yes, I'm here, he will quickly reply. Remove the heavy yoke of oppression. Stop pointing your fingers and spreading vicious rumors. Feed the hungry and help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from the darkness and the darkness around you will be as bright as noon. The Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you're dry and restoring your strength. You will be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring some of you will rebuild the deserted ruins of your cities. Then you will be known as a rebuilder of walls and restorer of homes. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Uh, hi, I, I also wanted to say Happy Father's Day, and I agree with everything that Aaron said. I am um, unbelievably grateful for. The dads in this room, uh, a lot of you are helping Daniel and I raise our kids and that is um, a giant job. Uh, And so, but I'm I'm just grateful. I'm grateful for who you are. I'm grateful for what you stand for. Uh, I am am just grateful for what you bring to our community and to our place. And so dads, stepdads, granddads of this room, happy Father's Day. Uh, And then we also at the same time that we honor all of the joy and all of the very worthy celebration of Father's Day. Father's day, we also understand that um, for some of you today is a really triggering day. Maybe it's even a both and. You can celebrate some, but there's some triggering too. And so we just want to honor uh, room in this room. If you uh, maybe have a complicated relationship with your dad or your dad is no longer with you uh, or uh, whatever it is that might uh, be making today a tricky day for you. We just want to say that we love you and we see you and um, it's okay to not be okay today. Um, it's also okay to be okay and not be okay today those two two seemingly opposite things can take place at the same time, and so we just want to say that and honor that and acknowledge that so um, I just want to pray and, and bless our dads and then we 'll we 'll jump in so god. Uh, we thank you. We thank you for uh, the fathers and the stepfathers and the grandfathers that are in this room or are represented in this room. Um, we thank you that there are some truly good ones, some truly special ones, some um, true men of you. And so I just ask your blessing this year. I pray that um, in In a recovery season, after a really weird and long and difficult year, I pray that you would fill um, the dads, stepdads, and grandfathers here with wisdom, courage, and kindness as they parent, as they lean in, as they care for uh, kids, uh, not just in this room, but all over this community. We thank you um, for their example. And so we just ask you to fill them and empower them. Um, Would you give them rest and would you give them delight? Uh, And then also for today, we just pray uh, that you would come, that your spirit would be here with us, that you would blow through this room like a mighty wind um, of your spirit, but also like literally as a wind, because it's hot. So that'd be great. Uh, In your name we pray, Uh, amen. Okay, so uh, this is our last week uh, in a series called Spirit-Filled Life. I have had so much fun. I hope you've had so much fun. I hope you have been, uh, I hope you've learned something. I hope something has like confused you and, and kind of ruffled your feathers a little bit. That'd be a good thing. Um, but so I'm a little sad to see it go, but so I just kind of want to walk us through very quickly the last few weeks where we've been. Um, we've talked about how the Spirit from the first moments of the Holy Spirit, that the first thing the Spirit does is bring order into chaos. Uh, we talked uh, uh, frequently about the wild and wonderful power of the spirit and signs and wonders and and how the spirit also fills us with the ethics character uh, the ethics and character of the kingdom of God and so this week we're going to talk about one last thing um, uh, I, I wanna say I saved the best for last, but I wanna, I guess the most honest answer is I saved the most personal for last because it took me five weeks to get the courage to talk about uh, today. So um, uh, for me, uh, it's a really simple idea about the Spirit of God, but a really revolutionary thing in my life that I have uh, woken up to just in the last few years of the Holy Spirit. So uh, to set that up, I want to talk to you about something thats I think is really fascinating. I've talked about it before, uh, but I love it. So a few years ago, um, Daniel and I and some friends were having dinner um, and our friend Brad started talking about trees. And um, he does this a lot, if you know Brad. Uh, he's, I, I consider him a spokesperson for nature, um, just in general. I've more than once called him the Lorax because he quite literally speaks for the trees. Um, and so uh, it, it's true. One, <laughs> side note, he stopped by our house one day and told us, uh, he, we were just talking, he was like, hey, that tree in your front yard's about to fall over, you should cut it down. And um, we were like, okay, how do you know? And I, I legitimately, he answered, I can hear it. And it was like, (laughs) you know what happened a week later? The tree fell. I'm not kidding. It split. I don't know if he like came and pushed it over. I don't know what happened, but he heard it and it fell over. Okay. So, so this is Brad. So Brad, he's talking about this, uh, he's talking about trees and he's telling us about this new, like amazing scientific discovery that he'd been learning about. And it's the idea that trees uh, don't just talk to him. They also talk to each other. Um, and this is so fascinating. If you want more information about this, there's a Ted talk by this Canadian hippie named Suzanne Simard, S-I-M-A-R-D. If you you wanna write that down. It is so good and she is worth the trip. So um, she kinda led the charge on research about this idea. So a quick science lesson. Uh, In the forest, trees, uh, particularly the biggest trees, have access to sunlight, uh, which through photosynthesis creates uh, more sugar than the biggest trees actually need for survival. And so uh, underneath the forest floor there, are these, there there's fungi that lives all beneath the floor of the forest. Uh, and their bodies, these fungi, are made out of these long threads, like tentacle things called mycelium, like long, long tentacles. Uh, and these long tentacles, they attach themselves uh, to the root of a tree. And the mycelium tentacles, uh, they absorb the excess sugar that comes through photosynthesis, especially in the biggest trees. And then these uh, nice little mycelium, they take the nutrients from the tree that has too much and uh, they, they they spread it out all amongst the soil and to the other trees. And what happens is it becomes an interconnected uh, symbiotic relationship between the mycelium and the root system of all the trees in the forest. And so this uh, root system, this uh, ground cover that is underneath the ground, uh, the science term for it is mycorrhiza. Can you say that? mycorrhiza? Very good job. Um, and mycorrhiza literally means fungus root, if you want to name your kid that. Um, uh, but this system, uh, this relationship, the mycorrhizia uh, is always working underneath the surface. We don't always see it. Uh, We don't always know that it's going on, but it is always working underground. Uh, The mycelium are always taking nutrients when there's an overload and they're always distributing them uh, across the forest through this mycoresia. It connects uh, all of the trees to one another, all in the forest. Uh, And the mycoresia system, it connects the trees so that they can share nutrients, like I talked about, but also so that they can share warning symbol, warning signals uh, between one another. The, there's uh, uh, too much rain, there's not enough rain. Any sort of thing that a tree might need to be warned about, the mycorrhiza takes care of getting that message all throughout. And this is the super fascinating part to me if you're still hanging on to my nerd fest. Um, the mycorrhizia doesn't just connect the same kind of tree to the same kind of tree. Uh, it, it connects any kind of tree beneath the floor of the forest is an interconnected web that, that all kinds of trees share. They all share nutrients. They all share warning sim, uh, signals, not just the same species. Uh, a fir tree can let a pine tree know that danger is coming and it needs to build up its defenses. A, a pine tree can share carbon nutrients with a maple or any other kind of tree. Uh, the mycorrhizia is always working underneath uh, to protect, uh, to alarm, to nourish, and to call out what's wrong. Uh, Suzanne Samard in her TED Talk says that it is the work of the mycorrhizia that makes, the for- makes a forest resilient. That the health of the mycorrhizia is what creates health and resiliency in any kind of forest because uh, it connects the forest. It connects all the trees to each other. Uh, At the risk of sounding absurd, I really believe that the work of the Spirit of God is very similar to the mycorrhizia in the forest because the Spirit is doing much of the same thing. It is always working to connect and empower the followers of Jesus to protect us, to nourish us, to alarm us, to connect us to each other. And when we access these things uh, from the spirit, connection and nourishment and protection and empowerment, uh, we wake up to a deeper and deeper way that the spirit moves in us and in the world. We wake up to a different sense of resiliency. Connection, connection and community, they are spirit work. They, uh, that's the spirit working in the church. Psalm 68 says that God has put the lonely into families. Connection and community are spirit work. The work of uh, of, of of community and connection is why we do things here to try to enable that. We we pass the peace every week because we believe in connection. That it's spirit work. We do dinner together once a month. We rent the Springbrook pool uh, so that you can see your pe- preacher in a bathing suit for connection. Hey, I'm just kidding. I've, I have I, you don't know how often I sit at a red light and die laughing at the idea of a preacher in a bathing suit. And it's even funnier when it's a girl because like. You're not supposed to, anyway, that's, that is not, has nothing to do with this. I'm not wearing my bathing suit next week. Okay, but we do things like this. We, we, <laughs> we, we create things in order to build connection because we believe it's spirit work and we are all about making room for the spirit uh, to move. We believe in accessing the connection and community that comes from the spirit and not just connection. Uh, The Spirit, like mycorrhiza, is always doing the work of nurture and the work of warning, protection, and alarm, or the Bible words for this are comfort and conviction. Uh, A few years ago, my therapist told me if I'm looking for evidence of the work of the Spirit in someone's life uh, and in someone's heart, look for these two things, comfort and conviction. Her exact phrase was, you can fake the fruit of the spirit. Anybody can be kind, but not anyone can be comforted and not anyone can be convicted. Uh, I, I think there's some truth to that. uh, we've been looking at the book of John uh, quite a bit over the last few weeks as we talk about Jesus describing what the Holy Spirit's like. And um, it's almost like he's telling to the disciples, here's what you can expect uh, from the Spirit. In John 14, Jesus tells his disciple that the Spirit fills us with comfort. And then a few chapters later in chapter 16, he says the Spirit brings conviction of righteousness. Jesus says comfort and conviction are divine work holy work, spirit work. And if you have much experience with either of these two things, I think you might agree. Uh, For example, I know that conviction is spirit work because I hate talking about it and I hate thinking about it. Uh, I think you all know me well enough to know that I would spend the rest of my life standing on this stage saying words like, wild and fun, parts of God. Uh, For me, conviction is a loss of control and I don't like that. So just to get on the same page, uh, we need to define conviction. I think, There's lots of definitions flowing around, especially in the church. Um, So here's this, my favorite definition of conviction is this. Uh, Conviction is agreeing with God about what happened. So it's not always a bad thing, but it's agreeing with God about what happened. Or another way to say it is to look at a situation with God's eyes. Uh, This is really important because there is a divine nature to uh, noticing the alarm of the spirit, the warning of God. And it is also important because it is a divine and holy act to learn to spot something wrong and also spot when shame dresses up like conviction. Are you still with me on that one? It is a holy and divine to not just notice the the alarm of God, but to also notice uh, when it's shame and when it's not uh, the voice of God. It's learning to differentiate between conviction and shame. Agreeing with God about what happened means seeing things truthfully for how they are, but it will never include shame. God simply doesn't have a shame voice. The Spirit speaks with conviction and without shame. Uh, At the risk of oversimplifying shame, shame says, I am bad, where conviction says that was bad. or or that didn't go right, or that was wrong. Shame whispers or yells that we are not worthy of love or worthy of belonging or worthy of connection. While divine conviction has the mysterious power to truly convince us of how deep and wide and long and wild the love of God actually is for us in the middle of something bad. Shame, shame throws a very wide net. I'm bad. Last week was bad. I'm always bad, shame is a wide net where conviction is laser focused. It's targeted, it's specific. It's eyes to see a conversation, an event, a situation through the lens of the spirit, of the holy. Conviction is very risky targeted conviction, it's very risky. I'll be honest with you, sometimes I just like shame. It's a little easier sometimes. Shame lets me get in a fight with my husband and then end it by saying, sorry. Or like, sorry, I was bad. Here's my favorite one, sorry, I'm the worst. You ever do that one? Just a big blanket, I'm the worst. Oh, sorry, I'm such the worst. I like shame sometimes. Conviction is far more specific. It's, I won't give you all mine. Well, I might give you some. Second Corinthians tells us godly sorrow leads to repentance. Conviction, it's spiritual eyes, specific, convicted. It's a drive to repair what you've destroyed. Conviction, it upholds my identity as a treasure to God and makes room for my own junk that is destroying myself and destroying you, destroying other people. Conviction, uh, uh, Brene Brown talks about it. And she says, it's a strong back and a soft front. That's conviction. It's a strong back. I know who God has made me to be. And it's a soft front. I didn't live up to that. And here are the ways I didn't. I said this, I did this. I had a ridiculous expectation for you that no one could meet. I had an expectation I didn't tell you about, whatever it is. Uh, our text today uh, talks about in verse 8, the promise of God to protect us from behind. I love that. And the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. I think that conviction is uh, protecting work of God. The protecting work of God behind us, pushing us into a greater freedom by giving us the work of cleaning up our own messes. It's what leads uh, to verse nine. It is the way oppression is lifted from us. It's the evidence that God is here working in us, that the spirit is here working inside me in my actual life and in my actual relationships. I know that conviction is spirit work because if I'm honest with you, left to my own devices, I don't have it. I just don't, without a holy and divine work of conviction in me, I don't have contrition. I don't have repentance. You might, I have, I have shame. I can feel guilty. I can feel shameful about things, but without conviction of the spirit, I have rationalizing, I have minimizing, I have spiritualizing, I have justifying. That's my very favorite one. I love to justify why I'm not actually wrong and really it was your fault. My parents told me I should be a lawyer when I grow up, but I feel like preacher is very similar (laughs) in this. That's what I have. I have these things. Uh, Last week I was uh, finishing up this sermon actually at my parents' house. And um, I I don't know how your parents are, uh, but my parents are a really safe place for me. Um, When you... One of the things I didn't expect is when you become the pastor, you have to find people to pastor you where you're like, can I pastor confidentiality you on this? Um, and so that, that, that's a, a safe place for me. And, um, and so I had had this experience that morning with a person that's uh, really someone who can be very frustrating for me. Uh, and I was telling them about it and, and I was telling them about this situation that happened that morning and then that led me to tell them about another one another situation, another situation, another situation. And I just kept going on these situations and it felt so good. And just like, get it all out there. It felt so good. And I got in my car, headed home and conviction hit me in a second. Just like turned the car on and it hit and the Holy Spirit spoke to my spirit and said, you're holding a list of offenses against that person. Like you got a whole list. And it's true. I, I, I was, I am, I didn't speak with honor. I spoke as an offended person. And then immediately I started justifying it in my mind. And I'm like, but God, that person can be really offensive. Of course I'm offended, they're offensive. And that's true. Some of the experiences are really offensive. Uh, But with a great mercy and no shame, the Holy Spirit held me to honor instead of offense. Reminding me in a very gentle but very targeted way that it is far more honoring to talk to someone you love about how they hurt your feelings than to talk about someone you love to someone else you love about how they hurt your feelings, right? Conviction, I know it is God's spirit because I just don't get there on my own. I don't. Okay, let's talk about comfort. Uh, Comfort and nurture of the spirit. I think this is also divine work. Holy, holy, holy work. Comfort of the spirit looks All kinds of ways. Uh, I think uh, in our passage today, I think comfort of the spirit is also a way that verse eight plays out. I also think comfort is the glory of the Lord protecting us from behind. It's that strong back coming in behind us. Verse 11, the Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you're dry, restoring your strength. Comfort can be water when we're dry, uh, restoration of our strength. Uh, like I said, in John 14, Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the comforter. He says, the comforter will come and will abide with you forever. Jesus, talking about the Holy Spirit, says, the Holy Spirit will come in the form of comfort and comfort will come in the form of presence. The withness of the Spirit of God with us, a presence that does not leave us when everyone else does, a presence that chases after us, protecting us from behind all along the way. The Spirit is always offering presence and peace and a great love in all of the nooks and crannies in our life where it makes no sense for there to be peace or for there to be great love. Uh, here 's an example in my own life. Uh, if you know me well you 've heard it, but I will never stop telling this story uh, so um, camel and Graham are my thirteen year olds and they were born uh, nine weeks early and and it was crazy uh, you You know that something's wrong with your kid when there's like thirty people in the operating room to to help them be born into the world and It was like, but i don 't think it hit us, but so they're they're born I go to this other room. And um, I say, when do, I didn't even get to see him. Like they flash him by and then they take him away. And, um, and I ask a nurse, when, when will they get to come home? This is September. And she says, maybe by Christmas. And if you've ever had a baby and someone tells you, you get to have that baby months and months down the road, that is a bad day for a mama. Um, and, and so we, I, I don't get to see him for a long time. Daniel gets to go meet him. I'm not allowed to go see him till I can feel my feet, which I of course lie about. And weekend at Bernie's, my way into the NICU um, (laughs) so that I can see these boys and I see them and they're so cute and they're so tiny and they're so scary because they got tubes everywhere. They got all the tubes and they're coming out of everything And, and, and it takes me a full 24 hours before I can work up the courage to look at a nurse and say, are they gonna live? And I finally do. Saturday night, I look at our nurse, Kelly, and I say, Kelly, are they gonna live? And her words are this, I don't know. You ever heard that? I don't know. Now my dad says this, even the skinniest pancake has two sides. What I didn't know is Kelly the night before her first time as a NICU nurse had lost her first baby who was perfectly healthy and unexpectedly passed away the night before. And so she has a mom looking at her saying, will this baby live? And she says, I don't know, cause she doesn't know. But she says that to a mama and that answer to me was no, no. And so I go back to my room and it takes a while for it to process. And what happens is Daniel falls asleep and, um, and I just start panicking. You, do you know, has anyone ever had a panic attack where it's like your heart's racing, someone's sitting on your chest, you can't breathe, you can't get a, mo- it's just full on panic. And I try to wake Daniel up and I can't wake him up no matter what I do. I'm pushing the call button for the nurse, no one comes. Nothing happens. And I think I'm dying and my kids are dying and I'm sitting in this moment. It's the most terrifying moment of my entire life. And all I know to describe to you is like a a waterfall comes rushing over me. As soon as I look to the sky, I say, help. And this waterfall comes rushing over me. And it is the most loved feeling I've ever felt in my entire life. We talked about baptism of the Holy Spirit last week. This is it. I got engulfed, drenched, I'm immersed in the love and peace of God in the nooks and crannies of my life where it made no sense to have love and peace. But I was drenched in it. And for a moment I was okay. And the next morning I woke up, I flipped out all over again and it happened all over again. Baptism in the Spirit and the Scriptures, it's always about empowering, connecting, comforting, or nourishing. And on this day, I was baptized in comfort by the Holy Spirit and the love of Jesus for me and in the love of Jesus for two sick babies that felt 10,000 miles away from me. Uh, if you've ever experienced trauma or tragedy, or you had a moment in your life where you uh, you 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 weren't sure that everything would be okay, and then in a single moment you kind of thought it might, you had that that switch flip. Then you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about if you had that moment where you thought uh, they might live or it wouldn't hurt anymore, or this moment where on a soul level, you thought it will be well, no matter what, it will be well, even if only for a few minutes or seconds, then I have a hunch that you can resonate with what I'm talking about, a flooding of comfort in your life. This is spirit work. This is what the spirit is up to. Uh, Paul in his letters calls it peace that passes what we're able to understand. The comfort of the spirit is a drenching of God's peace and a drenching of God's love and mercy on us and in us that quenches thirst and restores strength and empowers us back to life, even if only for a second. Often when it makes zero sense. It's what we read last week from Barbara Brown Taylor. Uh, Spirit work is when two plus two doesn't equal four, but five, and that makes no sense. It's a breath of God filling our lungs, allowing us to exhale uh, and then allowing us to inhale and then exhale that same breath back into the world. And here's the tricky thing about comfort. It's something we have very little control over. It's spirit work. Spirit work doesn't let us control very much of it, uh, but it is something that the Spirit is always offering, always in the business of. Uh, I like to picture it like the Spirit is pouring water over us and I'm standing below it with an umbrella. And it's like the only control I have is just to move the umbrella and let the water come gushing down. That's all the control we have. Comfort, is it, it is as accessible as breathing, as recognizing, as moving the umbrella, as opening up a closed fist. And a spirit-filled life means a continual bucket of comfort that will never run out is being dumped on your heads all day long, every single day, no matter the circumstances. And I think if we uh, learned to access more of the comfort of the spirit, it would change us. It, it would change us. Our insecurities, our anxieties, they would change. I've quoted uh, Bishop Todd Hunter, I think every single week in the series, so I couldn't leave him out this week. This is what he says. I, I love this. He says, the Holy Spirit is the animating, energizing power for a life of cooperating with God. He brings us to life, he makes the impossible possible. His power working in us makes our lives both dynamically effective and peacefully relaxed. Working alongside the spirit, there is never a reason for us to panic, freak out, or take things into our own hands. Comfort is divine work, it is a letting go. Working alongside the spirit, a spirit-filled life, means learning how uh, to open our hands to the work of the spirit all around us and inside of us. And like conviction, I know that comfort is spirit work because the most afraid I ever am in my entire life is when I have to open up my hands and let go of the thing that I wanna control. So here's what I wanna do. Uh, Every week we take a breath in our service. We call it Selah. Uh, Breath has a whole new meaning for us over the last few weeks. Um, And so what I wanna do is I wanna take a minute and I want to breathe this in, literally and figuratively. Um, I just wanna sit, I, I, I think, I said it earlier, way too much went wrong this morning for the Spirit not to be moving in this room. And so I just wanna take a minute and let the Spirit come and move in conviction and comfort, connection, because uh, I really just think that's what he's always up to. So we're gonna, I'm going to pray for a long time and then we'll sit for a while. I know it's hot, but you know, we might as well. It's going to be hot out there too. So we'll sit and we'll just let the Spirit move. Um, yeah. So come Holy Spirit. Uh, I ask you in these moments, would you wake us up to connection? Maybe for some of us it is opening our eyes and looking around this room and longing for more or appreciating what is. Will you bring to our minds uh, memories of how your people have been your comfort to us in darkness when things didn't make sense we remind us that we are not just connected to you, but connected to each other. Uh, For some of us, there might be some kind of conviction around that. And so we just ask for the courage to let you um, have access to the inner parts of us. So God, we ask for a moment, as scary as it is, we ask for a moment of conviction. Will you give us the courage uh, to look inside our own lives, to mine our own depths with you alongside? And will you give us the courage to hear your voice as you kind of put spotlights on things that are actively destroying us or actively destroying the people around us? Will you give us the discernment to know what is your voice and what is shame? And will you give us the uh, gumption to fight against shame and the courage to listen to you? praying this that you would take it a step further. Will you give us the wisdom to know um, what repentance might look like for us in these spotlighted areas? Is it cleaning up a mess with you? Is it cleaning up a mess with someone else? There's someone that, um, I think about that Barbara Brown Taylor quote where she says, when you offer a forgiveness you had not meant to offer, will you Uh, Give us the courage to offer an apology we had not meant to offer, a forgiveness we had not meant to offer. Uh, Where is a place that we need to let go and clean up? And God, will you let your comfort fall on us in this moment? Will you breathe here into our lungs and our guts and our legs and our brains and our hearts? Will you fill us with the comfort of your spirit that we might know we are loved, that we might know we are yours, and that we might find Uh, the treasure that would land in our hands if we could just open them up. Will you give us the courage to open up our hands, to be comforted by you on the things that we think there is no level of comfort that could ever work on. Will you help us move our umbrella to the side? Come, Holy Spirit.